you said Masvidal and Connor didn't make sense because he's so much smaller. Connor's a pretty big boy these days. Does that appeal to you? I mean, those that that could be one of the biggest, if not the biggest, fights you could make. No, I, I really like Chandler versus Connor after Chandler's last fight. Um, you know, th- there's plenty of fights to make. I don't know if that's the one, but we'll see what the landscape looks like when Connor comes back. It's it's interesting to bring up Michael Chandler, what he's done coming from a, out of the organization, and his losses were epic fights. So that's a fight that you could see making next for Connor, perhaps Michael Chandler. I, I'm just saying, after his last uh, interview, his last fight, um, you know, Connor's ranked number eight. He's ranked number five. It makes a lot of sense right now. Hey, everybody. How about that? Welcome to a brand new edition of the None of Your Business podcast. And this week, boy, do we have a very special and timely guest. Yes, none other than UFC Superman, superhero, super everything, in my opinion, superhuman being. And you're going to find that out here on the None of Your Business podcast. Listen in as we break down all things. Conor McGregor, and life with Michael Chandler. Yeah, let's bring up Michael Chandler. Thank you so much for being here. Of course, thank you, man. We're super excited to, I gotta tell you the truth. So, we were hanging out with uh, David Meltzer, and uh, he had had a conversation with you. And then he he looked at me and he was like, what about Michael Chandler for Money Matters? And I was like, the UFC guy? (laughs) And he was like, yeah. Normally he would have said like, you know, why don't you bring on the guys from Celsius or the crypto guys, the real estate guys. And honestly, I didn't even, I didn't ask him because I trust Dave. So I was like, yeah, that's probably a really good idea. And the more I've thought about this, and then hearing you just in that brief moment there together, um, I'm really excited about bringing some value to everybody. Um, and what I love about you is how you're a genuine person. I mean, we just heard about Connor, mm-hmm. and Connor's like a cartoon character, <laughs> right? Let's start, let's start by, tell us, obviously, we can watch you on pay-per-view. We can watch you in the press conferences. But for you, who is Michael Chandler? Um, you know, I, I think I was just a small guy from a small town who was taught to do small things who somehow kept on getting after it, kept on somehow incrementally gaining more and more belief in myself, which I had lacked for a very long time. Um, I was a walk-on at the University of Missouri, so I... I was the lowest guy on the totem pole. I knew what it felt like to be at the bottom. I knew what it felt like to be in a room full of 40 guys and that one coach who's, who's, whose opinion that you wanted, to, you wanted to impress him, he never made eye contact with me, never, never said a thing to me for the entire first year that I was there. Um, everybody else got four sets of workout gear. The walk-on got two sets of workout gear, which means I had to do extra laundry, which nobody wants to do laundry in, in college. Um, you know, so... It, not a, not a you know woe is me humble beginnings type of story, but I mean I think I've just been I've been that guy who I am where I am and I try to keep that walk on mentality and that that mentality that um, if I continue to work extremely hard that good things are going to be happening good things are going to happen and I've always said that too the hard work eventually pays off you just still have to be standing there to receive it when it does and I think. Man, I stand before you, a guy who wakes up every single morning feeling extremely blessed. When you talk, when you see videos like that, and you hear, you know, you see the bright lights in the big stages, and you're just like, I don't know how I got here, but I'm not going to take it for granted, and I'm going to keep on getting after it. So one of the questions that came up earlier, right, is like, so at what point or how did you know? Where's that shift when you like became Michael Chandler? Yeah, you know, it's hard. It's hard to think that there was a certain catalyst or that, that there was a certain, a certain moment that, that finally propelled me into being the man that I believe God created me to be. Um, I think more than anything, it was just the stick to of, of decades of coupling 
extreme hard work. I was the son of a carpenter, son of a secretary, mid Midwest middle class kid. Um, coupling that hard work with continuing, continuing it being continually revealed to me that great things were going to happen in my life eventually if I just kept sticking to, to a plan. Um, you know, we spoke earlier off stage about how I did encounter a lost streak. I, I started the sport of mixed martial arts. I was an All-American at the University of Missouri wrestler. Um, started my quest for mixed martial arts gold, if you will, back in 2009. Went 12-0 with like nine first-round finishes. I was just finishing guys and ended up winning the world title. But something in me, something in me, still that small voice inside me said, "Hey, you don't deserve this. Eventually, it's eventually you're going to fall. Eventually, what the media has said negatively about you is going to come to fruition." And then I had my first loss. Um, it was a split decision loss to the guy that I had beaten for the world title a couple years earlier, Eddie Alvarez, and that led to two more subsequent losses. I went 688 days without winning a fight. Um, so I think at that moment when I finally turned things around and I finally started taking ownership of what goes, what was going on inside of my head because you're what you are and where you are because of what has gone into your mind and what you believe about and what you, you know, ultimately what you visualize over. And I was building up this body. I was doing all the push-ups and all the reps in the gym and I was doing all the sparring. I was building up this, this physical body, but I wasn't taking control and ownership of what was going on inside of my mind. So really I was just building up a bigger, faster, stronger, subpar version of the man that I was created to be. Um, so I did a lot of work mentally, and from that moment forward, when I finally won that fight, and I got done with the 688 days without winning, um, I said I, I would never make those same kind of mistakes that I did, that I had made in that time. I always think when, when I'm up here that you say something like 688 days, and that, that sounds like a lot, but that's a long time. It's a long time. That's a long, long time to feel like a loser. You know, a like long time. So, and, and I'm sorry, like, you know, we, we don't want to say that about ourselves, but that's where I was at the, at the time, you right. know, because when you attach yourself to the wins and you attach yourself to the, to, to the what instead of the why, you know, you find yourself in that, in that place where I was. Do you want to give up? There was, there was times where I'll, I'll never forget... Um, I was living in San Diego at the time in this cool little, cute little 1,200 square foot house. Like I loved that house. My wife and I got married, and that was where we we started our lives. So it was time to provide for for my my wife, and it was and I had lost the last three fights of us being. We got married, and I lost like the first three fights together. And I remember carrying those suitcases up and walking into that that house, and we rolled them in there, and we both just sat on the on the couch. And she could see me. I started crying. And like, then she started crying. We just sat there in silence in tears. And, and it's in those types of moments that I believe the human spirit gets unlocked. You, you either have a choice to continue to plod forward with complete disregard to your previous failures and, and your setbacks and the future opposition. Or, you know, you can, you can give up. And I'd be lying to say if I didn't say there was moments where I thought, hmm, this could be it. You know, I could be ended up doing whatever, whatever else I'm going to do in the workforce aside from being an athlete. And here I am, shoot, 10 years later, and Dana White's talking about me fighting the biggest combat sports icon on the planet. And it's only because continuing to stick to that course of action until, until things work out. Well, I want to come back to the story because it's very compelling. But obviously, and we were talking about this, so like you got an advance notice of, hey, Dana White's talking about you fighting mm -hmm. Connor. Um, you have a response that's coming out um, today. I today, think. yeah. You want to share what your response was? Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, no, I mean, I, I want to, I want to fight Connor for sure. Um, and anybody who follows the sport of mixed martial arts knows that's the biggest money fight, not just in the lightweight division, not just in the UFC, but in combat sports in general. If you want to change your life, you want to, we want to create generational wealth, as Ed Milet says. You want to become the one in your family that, that propels your family tree into a different dynamic than it was previous prior to you that's that's the fight that it happens but but for me it's it's more it's more intrinsic and it's and it's more about the platform and making people feel something you know I, I love the sport of mixed martial arts because I think it's a physical manifestation of the fight that every single one of, of us is going through on a daily basis whether it be in your relationship your finances your business inside of your own heart inside of your own mind you get to see in real time triumph and tragedy so if you talk about 
making people feel something, if you talk about being a part of, a, of performances on big world stages that, that make people not only put behinds and seats in these big arenas, but make people well up with emotions, whether it's happy, happy, upset, kind of crazy, you know, you, fighting brings that out of you, you become a different type of person when you're watching it, you don't realize people are around you and you're, you're grabbing your friend's shirt and you're doing all that kind of <laughs> stuff. I want, I want to make people feel something with my performances so it just, it makes for me intrinsically to be able to share the octagon with the biggest combat sports guy on the planet, that's the type of stage that I want. And truthfully, I never thought I deserved that type of stage growing up until I finally did so much work on myself and it took me decades to fashion myself and galvanize myself into the man that believes that I deserve great things. Not just to be good, but to be great. Not just to be great, but to be extraordinary and to make people feel something. My, my tagline, I've, people think I made it up, but it's actually the old Zig Ziglar saying of see you at the top. He wrote a book called See You at the Top. So I say see you at the top all the time because I want, it's not just about me getting to the top. If I get to the top, it's a lonely place to be. If you look to your left and you look to your right and there's nobody there with you, you know? So it's just a, it's a, it's a shout out and a hat tip to everybody who's kind of been there with me from Mike and Betty Chandler who believed in me when I was a kid and, and, and worked two and three jobs to, to provide for me and my brothers all the way to my wife and now my friends and business partners and all the friends that I'm going to continue to make um, along the way. That's one of the things that super strikes me about you is you think you, you know, and, and I've had clients in, in the jujitsu uh, fighting game as far as facilities, gyms, and they're very nice people. A lot of you have met them. They were, some of them are at the mastermind with us in Indy 500. Um, but a lot of their clients that are in the fight game um, aren't, aren't as developed and mature as human beings as you are. It's a unique perspective to say that you want to leverage kicking this dude in the yeah. face to make people feel, yeah. to make the other people feel a way, mm -hmm. um, feel, feel a certain way. And I was talking to a few of you and I was, beforehand I was like, wow, they, they, there's a good chance that this fight can happen. And if the fight happens, well, even if the fight doesn't, whoever you fight next, I'm going to rally up a bunch of us and we'll come out and cheer for oh, you. Be, it'll, it'll super be awesome. Big and epic. To, super yeah. awesome to be there. And I know that, and, and I know that people will want to do that more than anything because the, the connection with you as a human being, right? And we were talking, one of the things I wanted to also, before we dive deeper is you made a comment. Um, if, if the fight is made with Connor, as you had said, well, I was like, how does that work? And Michael was like, well, it's Connor. So he's the one guy that he gets to say, like, well, he, he could become an obstacle most of the time. Mm -hmm. Dana would put the fight together and it would be a done deal. But if the fight happens, then the question becomes, you know, Connor's Connor and he does kooky things. And so I was like, so what is, what is your response going to be? A lot of people engage in these Twitter wars with Connor and say nasty things back and forth. And he says a lot of really nasty things about people. And your response was, was, was surprising to me. What, 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 what is your thought, your mindset going into that potential? Well, yeah, I mean, when we talk about making the fight, yeah, norm normally your promoter, your, your boss says, okay, you're fighting him and he's fighting her, him and she's fighting her. And, but then Connor's out there, he's like, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I tell you who I fight, you know, so that's, that's where Connor is. And, and so for me, my response for, I guess, lobbying for the fight is honestly being exactly who I am. I don't want to get into Twitter wars. I don't want to, you know, say mean things to try to drum up this, you know, in this kind of short attention span world that we live in right now where the headlines rule the day and, and the news where if I say something you know mean or witty or whatever that it hits the headlines and people are like okay now we want to see that fight I'm the guy where I want to be exactly who I am in front of the camera behind the camera on social media out, outside of social media and of course I'm a I'm a man and I'm a competitor and I, I got a I got a mean streak that we see inside of the cage of course but overall I want to be as cordial as possible and then go out there and you know engage in physical altercation in front of millions of people <laughs> you know like sometimes you know and and the goal isn't it, the goal it's and, and we talk about I, I talk about this too I do think and I don't think this was anything that I created I, I just think that that we're we are created with a certain amount of gifts and a certain amount of shit whether it's a shiny object or the intrigue that other people may see see from us and obviously my shiny object is 
well, shoot, this guy can literally try to decapitate somebody, give him a nice neck adjustment. So I know we're going to like a chiropractor here, give him a nice little neck adjustment in front of millions of people for, for some cash. And then all of a sudden get done and I'm looking for my son and I'm looking for my wife and I just, I honestly can't wait for the cameras to go away so I can just go celebrate with, with my, my people that I love. And I think, I think I've been given some great abilities to live within two extremes. The, the extreme that, you know, if anybody in here is mixed martial arts fans and you like to watch my fights, that I, there's a different human being that steps inside that octagon. That guy right there who wears the, the little short shorts and the little gloves <laughs> who goes out there and, and engages in the hand-to-hand combat and then coupling that with the extreme other side of who I am where I'm living in, in joy and gratitude and happiness and I, I want to be a great father and I want to be a, a great businessman who can, who can make a lot of money, have a lot of fun and help a lot of people, you know? And so I think that's the gifts that I've been given and I don't, I don't take credit for them whatsoever. I think it's just who I always have been. It just took me years and years and trial after trial and being down in the valley and getting kicked down to the ground and pulling myself back up to fashion myself into that man. Um, but yes, when it comes to a Connor fight, there's gonna be a certain amount of contention that will happen between you know, the buildup of a fight. Now, that doesn't mean you, just because there's contention doesn't mean you have to sacrifice your character. It doesn't mean I go off the rails and say things that I wouldn't want my five-year-old son or my, my sons to, to hear years down the line because the internet, everything lives on the internet forever, you know? So I think about this masterpiece that I'm painting brushstroke by brushstroke every day that my, my kids will see, or my future kids will see down in the future. Um, and all the while just having a blast and always taking it as, as a taking every scenario as it comes. I love it. I think, wait, how many people like Michael Chandler? Raise your hand. <laughs> yeah, this dude is like the real guy. So now let's, now we, so now, as I wanted you to get, I wanted you to get the essence of, of who he is. Um, you know, a, a genuine um, inside of his heart and soul. Um, somebody that resonates with you. He's no different than you. And that was one of the things that we were sharing um, earlier as well. The message that because we see you on TV, because we see you in the press conferences, because you know there's all the pictures of your last fight and the backflips and everything, it's easy to elevate somebody and think that they don't have mm-hmm. negative thoughts or insecurities. And then I want to go back now to the losing streak. Mm-hmm. Um, you said there were some things that you were able to realize and shifts that you were able to make and promises that you made to yourself that you would never repeat. Let's talk about kind of that journey what you were able to realize and the tools that you had to create in your life in order to not go back there, which would be easy to do with one, I mean, not even on a competition, just in, 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 in training with a setback and begin to go down that negative road, which I think happens to all, all of us, right? We just one little thing and then, oh, we go right back in that place. So tell us yeah. about that journey. Yeah, I, I made a couple mistakes that were obviously very detrimental to me you know, because for, for the sport of mixed martial arts, I, I grew up a wrestler, you know, so if you lost a wrestling match on Wednesday, you would get the opportunity to get back in the win column on Saturday or even the next day or even that, that day. You lose a match, you can have short-term, um, kind of have a, that short-term mindset and get right back in the win. The forget win about it. You forget about short it. Short memory. And, yeah, and it's, and it's the blessing of getting to go compete again soon. The problem with mixed martial arts is that you lose a fight in, you know, last year I lost a fight in May and I had six months until I got the opportunity to compete again, you know? And, and that time between those fights, you have the opportunity to go into every single sparring session or every single training session with that loss that you're thinking about, that setback, that, that, that valley that you were in and the, or the mistake that you made. And I put so much pressure on myself because I was focusing on I was focusing on perfection instead of focusing on success. If I could just, now I focus so much more, if I could just be successful today, I'm not gonna win every single minute of every single round, I'm gonna have bad days, I'm gonna have bad weeks, but as long as overall I get better incrementally as time goes on. And, and when I lost that first fight, immediately I thought, you know, well, not to mention the, the, the self-fulfilling prophecy that I was also thinking about because, as I said, I was building up this physical body and I was doing all these physical things to turn my in, myself into this, you know, want to be a Terminator-looking guy to, to the masses, right? 
but what I wasn't building up was, was my mind and what was going on in between my ears. So immediately when I had that first loss, I wanted to hide from everybody. I wanted to, the reporters, so that fight itself ended up becoming fight of the year. It was that crazy of a fight back and forth, up and down. I ended up losing, but it was a great fight to all. I lost on the scorecards, but to the mixed martial arts fans and communities and onlookers, it was a win because it was wildly entertaining. My stock rose even in a loss. So MMA Junkie was calling me and Ariel Hawani and USA Today. And then I even got asked to, to accept the award at the World MMA Awards and then even show up and wear a suit and tie and get on the microphone and, and present an award. But I wanted to hide from all of those opportunities. I wanted to hide from the media. I wanted to hide from anybody looking at me. And that, that idea of me just being in the comfort of my own home, when really it wasn't really comfort of my own home at that point, it was the, the, you know, the self-deprecating feeling of, okay, I don't want to go outside there because I might see somebody who might be reminded that I lost that fight. And when really looking back on it, it wasn't that big of a deal. We will all lose. Every single person in here has looked up to and admired and aspired to be like someone who has had numerous setbacks, numerous failures, and numerous losses in their life. But we look at to them when we see their success and where they're at. And we thought, it, well, for them, it was just part of the process. But for me, it was a death sentence, right? Because we get, truthfully, self-consumed. We get self-consumed in that loss because we're not, we're not operating from a, a, a point of gratitude. And I think that's, you know, even hearing you talk about gratitude up here earlier and, and helping a lot of people, um, I, was, I became very self-consumed, not in a not in an egotistical, selfish way, but more just I was putting so much pressure on myself that this loss now means I am a loser. Therefore, when I put my shoes on in the morning, I'm a loser. When I br I'm brushing a loser's teeth in the morning. Um, and then, so I wanted to hide from all of that. And the second mistake I, I made was immediately I felt like, I call it skill amnesia. I all of a sudden thought that I lost all of the skills that I already had, which in, in fitness or in my, in my line of work, athletics, I didn't lose any power, any speed, any quickness, any stamina, any cardio. I was still a phenomenal athlete. I was still just, I was still just as good of an athlete after that loss as I was before, but it was my perception of the skill set that I had that immediately, well, now that I lost and now it didn't work this time, well, I must be A, a loser, and B, I lost all these, I lost all these attributes, which we know is the enemy, which is really the inner me talking to myself in a negative way. And then the third mistake I made was that I found myself in a comfortable jail cell of self-pity. You know, when you walk into, you think about a jail cell and you think about that little, that little bitty nasty foam mattress that's not even really foam. And you think about the thread count on the sheets that looks like a burlap sack and that, that pillow that really feels more like a sack of potatoes than it does an actual pillow. That's what it feels like whenever you first kind of get into self-pity. But then all of a sudden, you start to get a little bit comfortable in that self-pity and that little mattress starts to feel a little bit more like a Tempur-Pedic as you get more and more comfortable with realizing that it takes a lot more effort to leave that jail cell and take the accountability um, and take the ownership of it. And then all of a sudden that pillow starts to feel a little bit nicer and it feels like Egyptian cotton. And I found myself in that self-pity jail cell of, well, if if coach would have told me to do this instead of that, and if that referee knew how to ref a fight or if that judge knew how to judge a fight, then I wouldn't be standing here and I would have won, and, and we can all do that as well in our, in our lives. Well, if that business account would have came through, if that guy or gal wouldn't have you know, messed me over in this deal or if she wouldn't have broke my heart or he wouldn't have broke my heart, um, because we find comfort in that, that jail cell of self-pity thinking, well, it's going to take a lot more effort for me to pull myself up dust myself off and just realizing I had the key right in my hand and those are the, mistake, the mistakes that I made and I vowed to myself that I would never make them again not only for myself but for my legacy and my platform and ultimately my wife and my, my sons. Yeah so the compounding effect of that yeah. that you had one loss yeah. then two losses and, and it's, it's just compounding on itself. It's just, yes. just getting worse. You're going deeper and deeper into that jail mm -hmm. cell. Yep. And I love that analogy because a lot of people in real life that are in jail, they get out of jail and they just go right back. Yep. They actually try to go because that's, their, that's where their comfort is. Yep. That's where that, they think, actually believe in their minds that that's that Tempur-Pedic mattress, yep. right? So it's compounding 
how do you stop that? How do you reverse it? You have the realization. Here's what, here's what the struggle is for everybody here and we're going to talk about over these next two days. You shouldn't think that way. So somebody just says, like, Michael, I mean, come on, you have your skill. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't fix it. Like, what is the work that's involved in actually making a mindset shift? Well, I think, I think a couple different things. Um, visualization is ex extremely, extremely important. For me, in athletics, but not even, not even just athletics, not even just the punches, kicks, knees, elbows, combinations, stepping into a cage in front of you know, tens of thousands of people and seeing your opponent and, and watching the ups and downs and ebbs and flows and putting yourself inside of the fight, inside of the competition, into the contest before you actually get there. Um, but even, even just being able to smell the smells and hear the hear the hear the crowd what it, what it feels like to walk into a board a, a huge meeting a boardroom with a, a powerpoint ready to nail it to to get the sale to cl close your next client to sign the lease on that next that next property and then that, that next building to see those zeros in your bank account those see the man or the woman that you want to become and make sure that they that that person scares you a little bit because of the amount of success that they are having, that they are going to have. You know, sitting here listening to Dana White, the biggest UFC promoter on the entire planet, talk about the biggest combat sports icon on the planet, and then this little old guy from High Ridge, Missouri over here named Michael Chandler, you know, you start, that feels a little bit uncomfortable. And it, and it, and it definitely felt uncomfortable a couple of years ago until I was able to see it in my mind first. and. And, and not necessarily saying that that is exactly why it's happening, but being okay with that blessing happening to me and me believing that I deserve to be the other guy on the other side of that octagon. Because some, at the end of the day, somebody has to be the best. You have to ask yourself, why shouldn't it be you? If you do things right, if you operate with integrity, if you're a man or a woman of, of great character, if you do things with the right spirit behind it, somebody has to be the best. So why should it be reserved for those who are doing it with nefarious, with nefarious means? Why, why, are, why should it be reserved for those who are doing it for the big ego to have all of the, the things and the stuff that is so materialistic when really, when you talk about this group here, when you talk about making a huge impact, when you're doing it for an impact. And that's what I've always kind of, that's what I've always kind of thought about. And when I think about asking myself that question, somebody has to be the best why shouldn't it be you? Like, Michael, why, why shouldn't it be you? And then you sit there and you think, well, you know what? You're right. I really can't think of too many reasons why it, that shouldn't be me, why that wild success shouldn't be attained by me, why the zeros in the bank account shouldn't be in my bank account so that they can then trickle down and be given to and bless other people. And coming from the background that I came from of, like I said, being taught to, being taught to do small things, and somehow breaking that box has been probably the most impactful thing and probably the catalyst for becoming the man that I am today. So visualizing it and be able to see it as well as realizing that it's probably not as serious as, your failures are definitely not as serious as you truthfully think they are because everyone you look up to has been a failure. Well, let's talk about that because that's um, an interesting thing in your career. Obviously, I, I, I feel like the point has been made that you're extremely intelligent. You're not the dumb fighter guy. You're a, a smart, put together businessman. It's a business and the fight game is the tool, the mm -hmm. avenue, the business that you're in. You made some interesting business decisions with your career relative to the fight promotions where arguably you might have been giving up some money in the immediate for a longer term and it's played out very well for you. Yeah. Talk to us about what that looks like because a lot of your colleagues, a lot of people in your spot would have gone for immediate money mm -hmm. um, versus having a vision for what's possible and coupling that with, then we have this gap of, we have this history of, well, you know, I, I had this three fight losing streak and that happens and did I mess that up? But how do you navigate that? That's a very financial decision. It's not just yeah. training in the physical body. That's a mental game. Yeah, it is. And I can, I can tell you, it was, there was a lot of tough decisions that I made. You know, you start out in the sport, you're a young, young single guy, and you're doing it just for, you know, the sport or the lights or the fun or the, the, the lifestyle that, you know, I didn't want to go. 
I didn't want to go join the workforce. I wanted to still become an athlete. So that was the reasons that I did it. Then I married the woman of my dreams, and now it's like, now it's okay. Now it's time to, to be, and make good on those promises that you looked her in the eye and promised her at the altar. And then you, you know, I adopted my first son a couple years into marriage, and then adopted my second son here about six weeks ago. And now I have two young baby boys and a, a wife, and so it just exponentially becomes bigger and bigger. But being able to compartmentalize making the right business decision for the family all the while knowing that if this thing works out the way that I think it's gonna work out, we're gonna be just fine. And not only are we gonna be just fine, there's gonna be these kinds of opportunities like we just, we just talked about. And there, I'd be lying to say that if there wasn't you know, numerous times where I, I've, I forewent the, the huge stage of the UFC for a very long time, and I fought outside of the UFC for a very long time. And there was a lot of pros to that, but there was definitely cons. The pros were that I was, I was cutting my teeth outside of the UFC. I was, I, was winning, I was winning fights and getting more experience because I think we, we, we really, really undervalue the, the amount of experience that we truly need to be able to be put into the position that we eventually want to take advantage of. And I, we should get into my, my call with Dana White whenever we, maybe after this, but I, I needed to be put in that position years and years later um, because I wouldn't have been the man that I needed to be, the man that's standing on this stage, had I taken the opportunity to go to the UFC four years ago, six years ago. So I, I really, was playing the long game and the delayed gratification game of even though I work just as hard as all of these guys in the UFC, even though I'm training like I'm fighting the number one guy in the world, even though I'm fighting this guy who's not even as close to as good as the number one guy in the world, but I was doing every single thing right, leaving no stone unturned in my preparation, but then not getting the recognition for it, but somehow inside of my head knowing that Something eventually is going to break here. Something eventually is going to happen. And the moment that I came over to the UFC was quite possibly the most interesting and most favorable set of circumstances that may have ever happened in the sport of mixed martial arts. Khabib Nurmagomedov was undefeated fighter, the UFC champion. He retires as soon as I signed with the organization. So then when he retires, you take him out of the piece of the puzzle. There was Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier who were tied up in a trilogy. So you take them out of the equation. Then all of a sudden, I win my first fight. Then they're like, well, shoot, who's this new kid on the block? Brand new dude that half, 98% of the people, you know, I was speaking to, to someone earlier too. He was like, well, sorry to tell you, but you know, I didn't really follow you that much in Bellator, but you know, cause UFC is just so big. It's such a big platform. And all of a sudden there was little old me coming from outside the organization went one fight and I'm fighting for the world title last May and then after that I've had a couple couple crazy fights and a couple awesome performances and now I've just got offered a brand new contract with the UFC which was more than double which was more than double what I got paid originally and then now we're talking about a huge you know a huge legacy type of fight that will change not just my life but my family's fight my, my my family's life in the future. Yeah, so tell us about that call from Oh, well, yeah, well, the Dana. call with Dana. Well, I think more than anything and this is and this is where mixed martial arts and and I know this is going to really I think it's going to hit home and there's because there's there's a different philosophy that I have with mixed martial artists. We are independent contractors. We put on the shorts and we strap on the gloves and the mouthpiece and we go out there and we fight. But ultimately without the promoter, you don't have a platform and you're going to be fighting in a basement somewhere with nobody nobody watching. I've always had the mindset that my promoter is my, I know I'm a pawn in this, in this fight game. And as soon as, as soon as I can, as soon as I can have that mentality that, okay, I know I'm a pawn in this fight game and yes, I do value myself. And yes, I do think I'm going to make, you know, some good money here, but I'm going to engage in the delayed gratification game of, okay, I'm not going to complain about this now or say anything right now. Eventually it'll come, it'll come out in the wash and it'll come out, come out in the light and it will work out well for me. So as soon as I was able to come to grips with realizing I am just a pawn for the promoters to make, to make immense amounts of money on the, on the backs of the fighters, then I was able to give myself the freedom to not only talk great about my promoter, but love the platform that, that my promoter has given me. So when I came into the UFC, I said, listen guys, with all these 
guys that you've made millionaires over the last X amount of years who are complaining about this and negative headline that and they're tough to deal with. I just want to be a good thing for your organization. I sat in the room with Hunter Campbell, who's the number two in charge in the UFC. I want to be a good thing for your organization and I want to show up. I don't want to tiptoe out, uh, outside the top ten. I want to come in right away and either prove either I am who I say I am or I'm not. So I wanted to immediately told him I want to be a good thing for the organization and then immediately made a promise to him that I was going to be one of the most exciting guys on the roster. And so far I've made, made good on both of those promises. Um, I leave that meeting and then Dana White calls me, which I didn't have his number. I had my manager put, put his number in my phone so that in case Dana called that I'd be like, okay, well, I got to take this one, you know? And Dana's, Dana was on the tarmac in the on the tarmac at the Las Vegas private airport. He's like, hey, kid, sorry I couldn't make the meeting. I'm flying out to here, whatever. And we exchanged some really, we exchanged some really, you know, nice things. Hey, I'm t he's like, I'm telling you, you sign, you sign with our organization. It's going to be bigger than you ever would have dreamed. It's going to be bigger than you ever would have thought could be possible. And I said, well, Dana, I believe that. And just so you know, I believe that you're not going to, you're going to be hard pressed to ever find, find another athlete, another employee that is going to be as equally yoked with you as I am, because I believe we speak the same language. And I believe that I'm going to come in and be a good thing for your organization and, and do something great. And I said, and on top of that, you haven't paid me $1 my entire career. Every single check that I have had has someone else's name on it and they paid me. But indirectly, your name was on every single one of my paychecks because you quarterbacked, championed, and built this industry so that a fighter like me, some no-name kid, small-town kid from, from Missouri who somehow become you know, a world champion to be on a world stage, and then he you know, said a couple cuss words and said, I love it, and hung up, hung up, <laughs> hung up on me. And I'm like, well, I think that went well. Maybe it went well. <laughs> Maybe I offended him. I don't know. He calls me back and then essentially was like, hey, I just talked to Hunter. You know, we're going we're gonna to give you whatever the F we need to give you to, to, to sign you. you know? so, it, so I say that to say my mentality always has been, okay, well, and Jocko Willink wrote a, a book called the, um, the Laws of Combat or something. And in there, in there, he talks about superior officers. And the superior officers are the ones that, that lead the troops. They, they lead the missions. They are in charge of the missions. But every single superior officer was at one time a really, really great uh, guppy, a really, really great grunt, a really, really great fall in line, do what you're told. For this season, I know what my potential is, but for this season, I'm going to put my nose to the grindstone and I'm going to work extremely hard and I'm not going to say a word. So I think I've just enjoyed that luxury of knowing what it feels like to to engage in the delayed gratification as well as operating from a a place of gratitude if i would have told dana hey man you need me more than i need you and there was that kind of thing he'd be like he really would have said cuss words and hung up and, and never called back yep. you know um so I, those those were kind of just the kind of the two overarching themes and thoughts about how i've operated in this individual sport um and it's really worked out extremely well for me. It is an individual sport in the sense that you are the only one that goes in the cage. Mm -hmm. But it takes a team of people around you to get to that point that you step in the cage. How important is it that they, mindset-wise, right? when you talked about the three things that you learned, that they also know those three things. Does, have you ever had instances where their mindset has effect, affected you as an individual? You know, I, I do... I do think that I kind of compartmentalize it and keep it very keep it very separate because I want to be able to say, you know, Henry Hooft is my my head coach, he's my striking coach, and then Greg Jones and Kami, they're my wrestling coaches, and then Jason Strout's my boxing coach. They're teaching teaching me techniques techniques, punches, kicks, knees, elbows, and I don't and we are all extremely close. Um, but of course, there's going to be there's going to be things that I disagree with them in philosophically or religion or background or whatever. So you got to keep the main thing the main thing. What is the most important thing about that coach for me? What part of the puzzle? What chain on the or what chain link on the huge chain of this career and our mission that we're trying to accomplish? What is the most important um, thing there? And I think ultimately. Me coming in and being in this sport as long as I had, it's really cool that I was the, the young guy who moved to Las Vegas years ago and I was training with the guy who was fighting Frankie Edgar for the world title and I was fighting, training with all these other veterans and I was this you know, young wrestler from Missouri and now I'm the 36-year-old, got scar tissue, older than some of the kids I'm training with now. You know, um, 
and it's it's kind of cool moving into that veteran that veteran position of being like hey you know when, when a, a young kid will ask me about it's actually really cool that they ask me about finances they ask me about taxes they ask me about investments hey i just saw you do this video with this guy like how the heck do you are you friends with him and we talk about relationship capital you can only have a great reputation for so long and have great results for so long that eventually people want to do business with you because your rep your reputation is that well, if this person is doing business with them, that is the stamp of approval, you know. So I've always just tried to be that guy who cared about my image so much more than a lot of other people because I knew what it meant for the long term and the continuing to acquire great relationship capital and having a great team. Those are the two most important things I've always say. Work extremely hard and surround yourself with the best people possible. And things will most likely work out. They might not work out when you want them to or how you want them to, but sometimes a closed door that never opens is a bigger blessing than a door that would have opened and you would have went through the wrong door. And I've had numerous, we've all had numerous of those scenarios. Um, so work hard, work extremely hard and surround yourself with the best people possible and always continue to, to find that 1%, that way of becoming 1% better. So we we are going into, we're getting, we got today consumer price index, got, getting all this bad news relative to our economy, and you are um, uh, an astute businessman as well. You've done very well um, with your business decisions, but you also have experience in something that probably the people in the room haven't really experienced, and that would be real life fear. Mm -hmm. Have you ever been afraid looking, not walking, well, maybe walking in, but looking at an opponent? They announce, hey, you're going to fight this guy, and you're like, wow, that, that's a challenge. That, has that ever happened to you? Any fear creeping? Yeah, well, here's the problem with mixed martial arts. The fear is always there because I don't care if you're the strongest person in this room or the weakest person in this room. If you're wearing those little bitty four-ounce glove and you hit me right in this area where there's a button, the good Lord decided to give us a nice little button over here. Well, you never know where it is. It could be up here that day or down here. Anybody can go out. You know, anybody can get caught. Anybody can slip on a banana peel. And, you know, I've had, I've had a fight in Madison Square Garden where I rolled my ankle within the first minute of the fight. And the fight was basically over at that point. And my, my limp leg, I was trying to, like, walk around on it and move around on it. And the fight gets stopped a minute and a half later. These types of scenarios where you're throwing yourself into the fire and you're getting tied onto a tornado, you have to embrace the uncertainty that's about to happen. There's fear every single time I step inside the cage. Now, there's confidence mixed with with fear I, I'm extremely confident when I look across that cage that that man did not work as hard as I am that I have that he doesn't deserve to win as much as I do he doesn't have a calling on his life like I have a calling on my life those are the things that I tell myself and those are the and I prepare as such but that doesn't mean that on that night I zigged when I should have zagged and then I'm looking up at the lights with my ears ringing with the whole entire arena staring at me and millions of people on on pay-per-view watching but the idea that when I was that guy and there was somebody out there watching saying, gosh, I really feel sorry for him. Gosh, I wouldn't want to trade places with him. Gosh, I, I really wouldn't want to be in, in that embarrassing of a, a scenario. I think there truly is something inside the human spirit, inside the human condition that says, even though I feel for him, there's something I am envious of about that because he is there right now and he failed while daring greatly. And he's out there trying to do something. He is the man in the arena. And I do think that God created us to do extraordinary things with our lives, relationship-wise, financially, business, impacting people, doing something that makes people feel something. And for me, my shiny object for people to to get to know me or want to follow me or want to see what I'm all about is he punches and punches and kicks people inside of a cage for a living for money and then you know what do, what does his family think about that how, do, how does he speak at churches how does he Jesus said turn the other cheek but he's over there speaking at churches and you know it's it's uh it's kind of an interesting you know it's kind of an interesting dynamic and um so to get back to that the fear the fear is always going to be a constant, and it's always going to be a part of it, whether you're, whether you're trying to build your business or you just graduated from school and you're trying to think. You see all of these successful people around you, and you think, well, 
you know, case in point, a guy like yourself, great businessman, a ton of success, but you still have the fears and the doubts and the insecurities, not just as a, as a man, but as a businessman in, in these certain areas. And I think it's, I think it's when we're not self-aware enough or we try to shy away from them and not try to, to express them that even right now with me expressing it with all of you amongst us here in this room, I am unlocking more confidence inside of myself and becoming more fearless by acknowledging the fears. You know, and maybe that sounds a little bit woo-woo, but I think that's there's so many ways to continue to unlock those things by acknowledging them. Well, you've dropped a couple God references subtle. We have one of our clients is a pastor of a church, and if you have a platform, I think that if we've been called to something, tell us about your spiritual side. Yeah, I mean, I I, I got saved when I was fourteen. When I was fourteen years old, um, I, I grew up Catholic. Um, you know, kind of it was religion, and I went to you know I went to mass and I went to my first Holy Communion and, and all that kind of stuff. And then I got invited to a youth group when I was, uh, like I said, 14, 15 years old. And, you know, that's when I gave my life to Christ. And, and since then, be trying to become, you know, the best man that I possibly can and try to live with the biblical principles, which are amazing too because they're in the Bible, but then they were also taught by Zig Ziglar. They were also taught by Jim Rohn. They were also taught by all of these different people that we we look at. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a big old school guy. I pull up all those, you know, almost black and white, like, tiny little videos on YouTube of guys that were talking in the 60s and the 70s and that kind of stuff. I'm Fire and brimstone. Yeah, exactly. I'm an old soul in that way. But, um, you know, so um, just trying to become the, the best man that I possibly can and realizing that, that God's, God's gifts are renewed every single day and His grace and, and His mercy is sufficient. And I, and I do remember, too, I think as since we are all business men and women here and we want to become more and we want to, to acquire more and build more and impact more. Before I walked into that meeting with, with Hunter Campbell, who would eventually call Dana White, who would eventually give me my contract, I was speaking with my father-in-law and I just said, I said, honestly, Pops, like, I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen here. I don't know, I don't know if this is going to be the right thing to provide for your daughter, because ultimately that's my number one goal, provide for his daughter and everything else will take care of itself. And he just, he sent me James 1, 5. He, he who lacks wisdom, ask for it. And the Lord, your God, who gives it abundantly, will, will come through. And I prayed that, showed up. And that was the craziest, most bold, most courageous, most out-of-body experience I've ever had in my entire life. The man who I was turned into the man who I wanted to become there that day. Saying things, making bold proclamations, looking a man in the eye who who at, by the end of the meeting was trying to sell me on signing with the UFC and then paying me triple what I thought I was going to get paid. Um, so as we continue to navigate this life and as we continue to build and as we try to continue to acquire both relationship capital and financial capital and businesses and impact, praying for wisdom every single day and realizing that you will never ever be perfect, but you can be successful and you can be a great steward of the blessings that you have been given. And ultimately, as we talked about, doing great business with great people. At the older you get, the more you realize you can get jaded by some bad business deals and some bad business people or some, some people that you wish you wouldn't have come into contact with. But then ultimately, the older you get and the more you're in business and the longer you are on this journey, you realize there really are some, so many really, really great people to do really, really great business with to make a really, really big and great impact in the kingdom of God. Let's talk about that part, being a good steward. You, you, a lot of people, when you start to get money, you have, you're on your second contract with the UFC, facing potentially a really nice payday. A lot of people would really screw that up. Yeah. You've, you've done a, a very good job. Mm -hmm. um, tell us about that, that development as a businessman. How do you make decisions about you know, things that you're going to get, get into, involved with? How have you learned without a financial literacy, formal education to be such a great steward of your money? You know, I honestly, it, 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 is, it is kind of funny. You know, I, I really do go back to, um, I kind of make fun of myself. Actually, my, my, my buddy James, business partner James, we stayed, we're staying up last night talking about business and doing all kinds of stuff. And, you know, I, I'm always trying to get him to convince me to have a better mindset on money because I do truthfully, ultimately, am, and I'm, I'm operating from a, a, a place of fear in a, in a lot of ways. You know, a lot of the decisions that I, that I have made or the indecisions that I have made were, okay, I can't go broke. My parents always talked about being broke. I don't want to be broke. 
don't be broke, don't get broke, don't make a bad decision here. But ultimately, as you, number one, continue to work hard, both for me in athletics, but also work hard to, to gain more financial li literacy, and then surround yourself with the best coaches and training partners in athletics, but then also surround yourself with the best business partners and accountability partners and people who know more than you about a certain subject, where maybe you don't bring that education or that intellect piece, but you bring other areas that that are your gifts. Um, so I think ultimately I just, my first big money that I made, I, I won a Bellator, or a Bellator um, tournament. I fought three fights in three months, which sounds pretty crazy. I fought March, April, and May of 2011. Then I fought in November of 2011, so four fights in 12 months. But when I won that tournament, I won a $100,000 check. And immediately the first thing I did was I bought a house in Vegas. So then I bought that first house in Vegas, and then when I moved to San Diego, I bought a house there, and then I started to realize in a, in a small, you know, single-family home type of way, the, the power of using other people's money and gaining equity and then exiting, and um, so it's just starting to continue to build and build and build, and now we're looking at different commercial real estate and different multifamily and all kinds of different ways to be a great steward of um, the finances and, and the resources that I've been, been given. Um, or that I've acquired over the years to be able to continue to to just be a constant quest just like I'm trying to become better with my techniques and as an athlete and continue to prolong what this body is capable of I'm 36 years old I'm not no spring chicken anymore in the sport of mixed martial arts Some chiropractic will fix that <laughs> yeah exactly right <laughs> um, so it's like uh, so just, just as I'm getting better in the gym, I want to get better outside of the gym. And then, you know, when you brought, brought up speed earlier, getting involved with just great people that are creating great products that are also revolutionizing an industry that will ultimately and most assuredly make an impact in the world and investing in different companies and, and ultimately just taking pride in shaking hands with and doing business with really great people. And that's really ultimately what has happened. And, and there's numerous times a week or a month that I have to pinch myself and look at my Rolodex and say, how in the world did all of this happen? Like, how, what, why are, I don't know why these, these people are drawn to me. I know why I'm drawn to them, but I don't know why they are drawn to me. You know, just like you said, with, you know, me and Dave texting back and forth and I got a, a black eye. And, you know, it's like I'm, I'm one of his only friends who has a black eye most, most of the time, which is kind of cool probably. Um, but, you know, and just, just continuing to get better. And then ultimately with all of that, excuse me, yeah. continues to gain more confidence. Let's myself. talk about speed. That's one of the projects that I'm super excited about. We've been talking with Dan for a while. Um, Lacey and I are going to come on board there, um, and I'd love to see our, our Quest 7 group and maybe some others come on board. Tell us, what I, what I was intrigued by is there's a lot of things that, a lot of businesses that are leveraging relational capital. So it's easy to just put your picture on there. Yep. Right? And be like, hey, Michael Chandler's on board. And then you started talking about it. And yep. I was like, oh, you actually know yeah. about this. Tell, tell us about, specifically with speed, tell us about speed. What is it? Why are you attracted to it? Well, yeah, and I mean, it's, it's one thing as an athlete to say, hey, you know, I, I, you know, I get in, I fight in a cage and I got a bunch of people on social media, so here, put my picture up there. And, but I said, I said, I actually told them, I said, the only, the only way I want to come into this is, is if I become a member of the advisory board as well, because I want to be in the ins and outs. I want to be in the meetings. I want to speak to the engineers because they know what they are talking about. And I want to speak, be speaking to the founders and then be the liaison between my, myself as an athlete and the other athletes to, you know, make sure that they continue to not just be an athlete and catch footballs and dribble basketballs, but to be a good steward of their platform and their relationship with speed. Um, but I think what has impressed me most about speed is the people behind it. When you talk about the relationship capital, when you talk about the passion that these these guys have to not just to create another revolutionary fitness product. A home. Well, that's what. Well, so no, people don't generally know what it is. I want to hear you oh, okay. describe it. What so, is it? So what it is is it's a platform with a screen with resistance training. So you you could have a a bar with two clips. You can have a trap bar deadlift with two clips. A curl bar. Um, you can do squats. You can do lunges. You can do you can do static holds with it. So essentially, you're going to be able to move the resistance around, and it's going to be. Um, 
It's going to either be free, where you can move it as much as you can, or it's going to be somewhat, we call it the, I think we landed on the nemesis mode. We didn't know if nemesis sounded too much like, you know, negative, but I was like, but I told Dan, I was like, I like nemesis mode, because we all have a nemesis, whether it's the nemesis that I've talked about, the small guy from the small town who taught to do small things, we all have something pulling against us. Mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, business. We all have something pulling against us. So that, that day, whenever you can put it on nemesis mode and say you're doing curls or you're doing squats, you're not just lifting the weight. The, the machine itself is actually your nemesis and it is pulling against you. So you're not only engaging the muscles from a uh, eccentric, but a concentric, concentric and isometric type of way. Um, so platform, extremely... Extremely highly high tech, advanced. Look like it looks like a NASA s spaceship. Um, so it's it's definitely intriguing, but it's also very easy and user friendly to be able to use. So as a as a high level athlete, you go on to that machine. How long how long does it take for you to get a full workout? Well, that is one thing about that machine. It is it is designed to be shorter workouts because of because of the. Um, the isometrics and the concentric side of it, side of it, where it's pulling against you, or you are holding it, or it's under it's time under tension, where your reps your reps in the gym where you're going to do squats, so you're going up and down, up and down. This could be five reps where it's pulling you down, and then you're pushing against it, and that's your one rep. It could be five reps, three sets of five reps, 15 reps total, and you feel like you just did 100 squats. Um, same thing with curls, lunges, deadlifts, different body parts, and then we'll, we, we're going to have an educational type of piece where it's a, you know, a speed, you know, university type of thing where the, you come on, it's a sub subscription-based model, of course, and then also having people come in, are having people be able to watch different videos and have build out a huge, ro a huge deck of how to do all of the different workouts. And so then, very quick workout. And then the new thing that they're adding is then the cameras. Yeah where now somebody could be watching you yep. work out on it that's not actually there. Yep. So they can do, uh, you can do that trainer type as well as the cameras that are already um, connected to the motherboard of the, of the machine that will, it'll tell you if you're doing a squat or a lunge and your right knee is bowing out two inches. Okay, what can we do to correct that? Well, that might be something over here in the piriformis or in the glute that we need to correct just that two degrees. And there's going to be, They've, they've brought on so many different people from rehab, prehab, yoga, physical therapy to doctors and obviously sports science majors and that kind of stuff, coupling that with the professional athletes, coupling that with other people on the board, coupling that with, um, coupling that with there was one other thing I was going to say. It doesn't matter. Couple it with something else. It's gonna be good. Yes, no. it's gonna be good. What was I trying to say? Oh, the engineers. The engineers, which are actually the most impressive the most impressive aspect of this whole thing, I sat there with the engineers and I got my brain almost turned into mush, like just listening to them and watching them and having them put me through um, the different movements and putting me through the, and this was still the beta, the beta model. Whenever gamma hits and the one that we actually take to market, it's gonna be, it's gonna be something really special. I'm really excited. And I've watched those, um, you know, you keep saying a small guy, and you're not that small. But I've watched, you know, the the linemen from yeah. from from NFL teams, big giant dudes, mm -hmm. and just you know getting them on the machine and having them work work through it, and they're astonished at how hard it's working them out in such a short, concentrated period of time. Yeah. It's it's revolutionary, and I'm always intrigued by like you you brought up then the ability to rehab, yeah. right? So someone that gets injured, whether at a high level or someone that's just um, you know from any walk of life and our ability to use this and monitor right because you just give somebody a rehab program and then they just go home and do whatever they want they might be doing more damage than good we have the ability to monitor them biomechanically make sure everything like you said is yeah. is super in line that that's a project that's an example of a project that comes to us that i'm like man the right people yeah well right, that's a great idea yeah yes. that, well that's the business you're in of making people feel better, right. you know, when you, when you are 
when you talk about chiropractic and making people feel better, unlocking their body in certain in certain ways. And the one thing that I love about it too is is that right there you can get every single thing, every every single exercise done right there instead of okay maybe you had to get a, a knee surgery a couple weeks ago you got to go limp around the gym to the you know the the hip machine is over there and then you got to limp over to the gym to get the the leg press or the you know so it's all in one one area which we know as as fitness continues to move people want it to be um, you want it to be more compact and, and quicker and more seamless so um, they saw an area in the in the industry as well as other competitors if you will only go up to say 200 pounds and and that might sound like a lot of um, a lot of weight where you can't where most people wouldn't even need that to have the ability to go up to 2,000 pounds um, still just makes the the machine it's it's substantial but also feels a little bit more merc mercurial like you can move it around as well last thing as we conclude so obviously you had said you're putting the, the, the brush strokes on this masterpiece what is the what do you see what is the vision that you are creating what, what is, how, how does this go? You're going to get the fight with Connor. We're going to just manifest that. You're going to be abundantly blessed. You win that fight. Get in line. You get the title. But you're doing something bigger than just getting that belt back. What is that? Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, you know, when it's all said and done and, and the masterpiece is painted and the, you know, and then the lights go down, um, I, I've had this vision since since right around I turned 30 years old. When you turn 30 years old in mixed martial arts, you know you're, you're much closer to the end than you were the very beginning. And I have, this, I have this vision of myself. I'm in some arena somewhere, and I'm, I can hear the crowd out there, and I just got done showering off, and I'm about to go to my last press conference, and I'm standing there all by myself in the, in the locker room, in the, in the, in the bathroom, and I'm looking myself in the mirror. And I, in that moment, when I take the gloves off for the last time, I want to be able to ask myself, Michael, did you, did you do everything that you possibly could with the gifts that you were given? And in that moment, I want to be able to answer truthfully and without regret. So I want to be able to live a life that says, yes, I made some mistakes, and yes, I fell flat on my face, and yes, I was booed at and laughed at, and I made some bad decisions here and there. But ultimately, I never sacrificed my character. I tried to do every single thing to squeeze every single ounce of talent that I was given. Um, and then ultimately, at the end, that even in, in the face of failure, I continued to keep trotting forward, to keep putting one foot in front of the other, because ultimately, every single one of us is going to experience failure. And if that little guy from that little town who never thought he was ever going to leave outside those county lines because when he, when he tried to leave those county lines, everybody tried to pull him back and say, the chances of you falling flat on your face are too great to go out there. Just come back. You know, or what are you thinking about going to that Division I school? Why don't you just come, come over here and go to that community college where all of us are going to? What are you, think about, what are you thinking about getting on world stages and trying to become a millionaire, and not just a millionaire, but a multi-millionaire to impact people. You were never supposed to make more than X per year. And my mom and dad told me to go into the trades. You know, my dad was a carpenter, and I love him for that. He came home with sawdust on his hands and, and, and his whites and his boots every single day. And I love the man that he was and the example that he, that he set for me. But my parents told me to play it safe and become a teacher because they have great because they have a great retirement or they become a tradesman because they have great retirement or a great pension and ultimately when I was able to reverse engineer that or kind of flip that on its head and think well why would I spend the rest of my life for the retirement instead of trying to create a life that I want today and next year and the year after so just that I, I did everything that I possibly could and someday my sons will be able to see and ultimately not see who his dad is or was by the things that I told him. But ultimately, when I'm here at one of these conferences years from now and I'm able to bring my son and you have a moment where you look at him in the eye and say, this is who your dad is to me. And then same thing with all of y'all or, or my, my friends or my, um, my associates or my, my people that I work with, that they look him, him in the eye and say, this is who your dad is to me. And this is why I respect him, I admire him. And because I can tell him who daddy is till I'm blue in the face. And it just, you know, it's uh, ultimately I want to lead by example. But I want, I want those people to be able to say, this is who your dad is to me. And I want it to be, 
a man of good repute and I'm trying to pass these things on to my sons and trying to make them believe in, in, in themselves and instill that confidence and desire to not just be good but to be great with everything that they do. I think that I'm going to show you a couple things. Number one, for me personally, and people that um, work with me will tell you, and all of these people would tell you, like I feel like we just had an hour conversation, just you and me, mm -hmm. and you have, have super um, impacted me in this hour. Like I really appreciate you spending that time with me with mm -hmm. here one-on-one -on -one, and also being able to share that with everyone else. Um, just an incredible, incredible human being, Thank which you. gives a great, a, a higher level of appreciation for what you see on TV, what mm -hmm. you see on press conferences. Do you check your own social media, Instagram? Yeah, I, I run my own. You run your own, okay. Yeah. How many people was Michael Chandler different than what you thought? Raise your hand. <laughs> How many people here had he made an impact in this last 60 minutes on your life. What I would love is, is I want to show you that, what I would love is if you would follow him on Instagram and send him a, a DM and share with, you, share with him your takeaway. I don't think, and I hope that this is what happens at our events, because Marshall Silver did that to you and Tim Story did that to you in sales. I mean, what an absolute incredible gift to share with us. But I want you to make sure that he knows, because it's easy to hear the people in the arena just clapping because mm -hmm. you caught him in the chin with, your, with the front kick. That's one thing, but to show up and impact people's lives. And then they go out, all of them impact other people's lives, and I want you to see the bigness of the time that you spent with them. Um, sh please, please, it'll go into his filter because he doesn't follow you. So you got to go in and check the filtered messages. Oh, yeah, You'll yeah. see all those messages. Um, let's share with Michael Chandler what impact he has made with you. How many of you are now massive fans of Michael Chandler? <laughs> yes. yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. We super appreciate you. Appreciate it. All right, everybody, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the None of Your Business podcast. What a super special episode listening in with me and Michael Chandler at the Black Diamond Club Money Matters event. Look, we would love to have you at one of our upcoming events live and in person. All you've got to do is go to www.blackdiamondclub.com, click on that events tab, and you can find out more information about our marketing event that we're holding this November. Just like we had Michael Chandler with us for Money Matters, we have amazing special guests lined up, just like we do each and every week here here on the None of Your Business podcast. The only difference is you get to be with them and us live. Hope to see you at our next event. And if not, as always, we'll see you next week on the None of Your Business podcast.